0: Good morning and welcome to Houghton Wesleyan Church. I invite you to stand and join with me in the call to worship. Out of the depths we cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear our voices. Let your ears be attentive to our cry for mercy. Word, we put our hope. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption.
1: He himself will redeem Israel all
0: sins. Let's pray. Almighty God, We have come together as your people to understand better how to live out your calling for our lives in this world. We trust that you are already here in our midst, offering your presence and your peace. We pray for our hearts, that they would be receptive to that which you want to do in our lives today. That our minds would be free from all distractions. And as we sing the words of the song, they would be more than just words, but they would become the attitude of our hearts. And as we hear your word proclaimed, it would settle within our being that we might be better followers of you. Lord, reveal yourself to us in a deeper way today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Before you're seated, uh, take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. great to see you as we gather for worship today. And I, I, we have a number of things happening in the life of the church. I, I did want to just make one introduction. Um, Stacey Hinderleiter, who is leading worship today, some of you may know Stacy. She's been working with our youth group and been involved in the church for the last few years. She graduated in December, and this semester she's going to be doing a full-time internship with us. So you will be seeing her around, and she may be contacting you about something uh, so you can put a face to a name, and we're just excited to have Stacey here working with us during this semester. And I know that uh, I started to say earlier that you will treat her the way you treat us. Um, I don't know, maybe that's, that's, that's a good thing. No, that's a good thing. Uh, no, we're, we're just really excited about having her here, and uh, we know that uh, God's going to use her during uh, this semester. She works with us. There are a few things I want to highlight in the life of the church. Some our small groups continue meeting, and there's an insert, or begin meeting again, there's an insert in your bulletin related to that, the list of groups, and we hope you're involved in the group. It's a great way to uh, connect with people and uh, to engage your faith uh, in a smaller group setting than we're able to do on Sunday mornings here together. Wednesday evenings, uh, all of our ministries are on regular schedule, and next Sunday morning, worship at 8, 40, and 11. There are a number of prayer concerns also in the bulletin especially want to pray for the Haiti uh, medical dental team. They are in Haiti right now. There was some sickness of some of the people who then were not able to go and uh, a few other logistical things they've dealt with. So they've had some wrenches thrown into the plans, but God is still there and is still at work and praying for this to be a great week as they continue to minister there. Uh, We also want to pray for our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria. Word has gotten back to us that there are uh, pretty significant threats to them and we're asking God to uh, protect them, help them. Of course, this is the case in far too many places of the world and uh, we need to pray for our brothers and sisters. There are also a couple of concerns that are connected a little closer here to home. We want to pray for John Smith, Shelley Noy's father, who is having surgery on Tuesday for a uh, cancerous growth in his colon. I know that uh, he and his family would appreciate our prayers. And also for Clayton Templeton, Uh, Clayton has been in the ICU at Wellsville for the last uh, couple of days. This morning they are transferring him to Strong. uh, He has pneumonia, and they're concerned about that leading to heart issues. And so I know that their family would appreciate our prayers as well. I invite you to uh, turn in your bulletins to uh, the prayer of confession. Let's pray together in unison. Eternal God, you are reconciling all things to yourself. By entering our world, you reveal the depths of your love to us. In coming, you gave us life and called us your children. You have been faithful to us, but we confess that we have not been faithful to you. You want to transform us into new creations but we are content with the old. You want to take us to new depths, but we have settled for the surface. You have set us free, but we hold on to the chains of our past. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins, those we confess, those we hide, the sins we have become complacent with, and those against our neighbor. Help us to live as citizens of your kingdom. Where we are hurting and broken, bring healing and restoration. Where we have doubt, help us to trust. Where we are stagnant, give us a desire to know you greater. Jesus, may your light shine through us so that the world can see your glory and your love. May we be found faithful by you, doing even greater things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, until his kingdom comes, amen.
0: Today's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and never again will remember their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and sing the Gloria Patri as the ushers come forward to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Father, as your children, we have come with gifts to show how appreciative we are of all that you have done in our lives. For the life you have given us, for the gifts we have received, we are truly grateful, and these are just portions of all that we have received. In a culture that tells us to look out for ourselves and keep everything secret and um, close to us, you call us to give not because you need it, but because we need to trust you. So this morning, for those of us that it might be easy to give, and for those of us who find it difficult to give, would you work in our hearts and draw us closer to yours, that we might use these gifts to bless our community and the nations and the world, so they might see your love and your glory. Amen.
2: have the opportunity to pray together. If you would like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Heavenly Father, we come today with many burdens and concerns about our own lives, the lives of people we love, this world. In this moment of silence, hear our prayers. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in hearing our prayers and answering in the way you know is best. We have prayed about our own lives and the burdens we're, we're facing and the struggles that are, are so pressing in upon us so deeply. We're thinking about the future. Decisions that need to be made, uncertainties those elements of life that bring anxiety and worry and even fear to us. We're thinking about people who are in need, people who are grieving, people who are struggling with illness or pain, injury. We think especially of of John Smith and Clayton Templeton and we ask that you would heal them. Father, we also pray for uh, our nation. We are in the midst of the stages of a presidential process. And we pray for your wisdom and your your grace upon us as a nation through all of this. And we pray for our world. So much violence hatred. Lord, we need your grace to bring upon our world peace and restoration and salvation. We need your grace. We think especially of our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria, all that they are facing every day. And our brothers and sisters throughout the world who face persecution Opposition, threats, we ask, Father, that you would protect them. Give them the ability through your spirit to be such a witness in the midst of all of this that even those who persecute them might open their hearts to you. Father, we don't know a lot of that type of life in this country. Father, In our ease and comfort, keep us from apathy. Keep us from being complacent. Rather, fill us with the edge of your spirit, with a passion for you and for others, with a new awareness of your spirit in us and with us. Father, it's difficult for us to express our gratitude for all that you've done. Your blessings are countless. But it's because of what you've done and because of all that you've promised. And because of all that that you are doing, even now, that we offer this prayer. We pray this through the power and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ
0: The words of our Lord are found in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters... You were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you did not feed me. I was thirsty, and you did not give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me into your home. I was naked, and you did not give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord and yes, you yes, 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 yes.
2: Holy God, we thank you for who you are. And we ask that you will help us to understand more of your nature and your character and your call upon our lives. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Years ago, I heard the story of John Wesley that took place maybe a year or two before he died. And he had a meeting with Charles Simeon, who was a a growing uh, pastor in the church in Cambridge and who was a leading uh, proponent of the Reformed movement in the Anglican church. Obviously, they had differing opinions about a number of theological perspectives and ideas, and they decided one day to get together and to talk specifically about the issue of God's sovereignty versus human free will. And they met during the day and they, and they talked. And when they were done, they reported that once they defined the terms, they really weren't that far apart. But they also reported that they, the answer to this dilemma, this concern, this, this question was not in either extreme, nor was it somewhere in the middle. But it was in both extremes. God is fully sovereign. Human beings are fully responsible. And somehow, we have to learn to live in the tension of those two truths. The more I've thought about that story, the more I've realized that most everything that we believe and, and most everything that, in, that we understand of, about God and of what it means to be a follower of Christ fits into that category of two truths held in tension. We, we see this in, in our description of Jesus. We talk about Jesus being fully human and fully divine. And you wonder, how can a person be 100% of something and 100% of something else? And so sometimes people's solution is to say, well, he must be somewhere in the middle. Half divine, half human. And we know that's not right. And most of the great heresies that the church has fought through the centuries have dealt with who is Jesus. And either people have said he is fully human and not divine or he's fully divine and not human. And the church keeps coming back to the truth. It's both. We, we do this when we talk about faith and works. We hold them in tension. We do this when we talk about the fact that we could never really know God, and yet we can know God. And there are so many elements of our faith that fit into this category of holding two opposite truths seemingly in tension and the paradox of that. And I've been intrigued by that for a while, and I decided that over the course of the next few weeks, I want to look at some of these paradoxes, some of these tensions, so that we can think about how we, how we deal with them, how we live in them, because I am convinced that the more mature we become in our faith, the more readily we accept these tensions and live in them and see the value and the blessing of them. Today I want, to say, I want to start by thinking about God's judgment and God's forgiveness. Now when we, when we look at the Scriptures, it's clear the Scripture does not hesitate to speak about the judgment of God. We see it over and over and over again. We tend to want to skip over those passages. We tend to, when we're talking with people who aren't Christians, be a little bit embarrassed by those passages... And we might even say, well, that, as some people do, well, that was then, that's not now. But the reality is, the judgment of God is woven throughout all the pages of Scripture, including the words of Jesus that we just read a few moments ago this morning. The truth of the matter is, the response to the judgment of God is often denial. People find judgment... Reprehensible, and so we simply decide we 're not going to talk about that 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 isn 't true it doesn 't exist. How could a loving and good God truly punish people we 're not sorry we 're not that bad we weren 't doing anything really wrong. Who are you to tell me what to do? God? We hear people say they cannot believe in a God of judgment, of course, as soon as we read about a drunk driver taking the life of innocent teenagers or hear the report of another woman sexually assaulted or political prisoners being tortured or a terrorist attack on innocent civilians or one more corporate giant fleecing the pension fund of their employees. Then we cry out for judgment and we're looking for justice. And we want to see these offenders brought to justice. We want to see them put in their place. We want judgment. And in fact, we get upset with God when we don't see it. So it seems to me that the real issue is not that we cannot comprehend a God of judgment, we just don't want a God who judges us. But the truth of the matter is because we've all sinned, we all deserve judgment. It's the natural consequences of this life in which we live. We live in a world of cause and effect. And if you if you step off a cliff, you're gonna fall. It's just the way life is. It's it's the design of how things are created. And we the way that things are created is that sin leads to judgment. And we sin continually. All have sinned, Scripture says. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. We don't like to admit it, and we often will respond by saying, Well, at least I didn't do that in comparison to other people, and that makes us feel better. But we forget the sins that we commit against God, against each other. We bring pain to each other, we hurt each other. We are self centered the problem really isn't that that we don't deserve judgment. The problem is we don't want the judgment. And, it, and our unwillingness to believe that we deserve judgment is a great issue that the world, including us, has to continually deal with. And the moment we, we start talking about the judgment of God, we tend to think, or at least a lot of people tend to think, ...that we're talking about the kind of judgment that we might give to other people. And our judgment, which we place onto God, tends to be a bit capricious. You know, our anger gets out of control. Our, Our punishment is soothing the savage beast. And it's hard for us to understand talking about wrath and the judgment of God... ...without the context of what we would do and how we respond... We get angry because we're hurt, and when we're hurt, we want people to pay for that, and we lash out. And our goal so often is simply to make people feel our pain, to make people pay for what they have done to us or to those that we love or to people we think don't, didn't deserve it. And it's almost always about retribution. But that's not the judgment and the wrath of God. God. The truth of the matter is God's wrath and God's judgment are rooted in his love for us. The threat of punishment is intended to turn us from behavior that will destroy us. God's wrath and judgment are, are rooted in his compassion and his care for us. We, we see something of this in in parents and children. If you were to to walk out of the church this morning and you saw a little child start to run into the highway and their parent yelled at them and screamed at them and grabbed them and and was very harsh with them, would you think, wow, that parent really doesn't like their child? Or would you think that's a parent that cares a lot about their child? You see, the, the problem for us is that we don't always respond with the best intentions and the best motives, even parents with children. Sometimes we lash out at our children because they've embarrassed us or because they've hurt us or they've done something against us. And and we put that same kind of, of, of scenario onto God, but God never does that. The reason the Scripture talks so much about judgment is because God is trying to warn us from where our sins are leading us. And ultimately, his greatest warning and his greatest his greatest sign of of what judgment can happen what can happen with judgment is the cross. Jesus goes to the cross and takes our judgment. Everything that we deserved is placed on him. He didn't deserve anything, but he takes it upon himself. And everything that God does for us costs him in some form. Everything God does for us brings judgment upon him in some form. It's the great paradox. That God puts himself in a place to be judged for us in order to forgive us. And our God who warns us and speaks about judgment in order to turn us around... It's the same God who loves to forgive us. We don't have to convince God to forgive us. He loves to forgive us. It's what the cross is all about. It reminded me of Francis Thompson's poem, The Hound of Heaven. You know, it tells of the soul fleeing from God, going everywhere possible to try to get away from God, and comes to the end and realizes it simply couldn't be done. Because wherever he went, wherever he hid, however fast he may have run, God was right there. Not to condemn him, but to love him and to try to help him to understand the forgiveness that God desired him to experience. It's what the psalmist is telling us when he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. It's about God's forgiveness. I think that this passage about the sheep and the goats is sometimes confusing for us as evangelicals. Because it doesn't fit our conversion theology. You know, we tend to see forgiveness as contingent upon believing the right things or saying the right words, typically in some kind of prayer. Now, believing the right things are very important... And, and praying a prayer of forgiveness is very important. But so often, we think that's it. That, that's, that's the keystone for salvation. But the truth of the matter is, when you read this parable, Jesus is talking about the judgment day. He's talking about eternity. And there's no mention about believing right things or saying the right words And that tends to make us nervous. And it causes us often to want to deconstruct the scriptures. Our problem is that we interpret helping people in need, as Jesus describes here, as a means to an end. We believe that Jesus is telling us, if you want to get into heaven, then you need to help people who are needy. And that doesn't fit our theology. And it shouldn't fit our theology, because I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I think Jesus is saying that if you want to know whether you're still under judgment or if you have truly been uh, embraced by the forgiveness of God, then look at how you treat people, especially people who are most needy and least desirable. Helping people isn't a formula for getting into heaven and escaping hell. It's just the most natural response of a person who has experienced Christ's forgiveness and is no longer living under the judgment of sin. When we've been forgiven, we want to see other people forgiven, it becomes the dynamic of his kingdom. And being forgiven really is is an expression of wanting God's will in heaven to be seen on earth. Wanting for our lives God's will, surrendering ourselves to him and recognizing that we deserve judgment. But God is offering us forgiveness. Forgiveness. That doesn't mean we have to get our lives all squared up in order to receive God's forgiveness in Christ. Because honestly, none of us could ever come close to that. But it does mean that based on what we know, we want the priorities of God's kingdom in heaven to be our priorities as we live on earth. It's always interested me that, particularly with in the words of Jesus, but also we see this in the prophets and throughout all of Scripture... God's judgment tends to be reserved for people who don't want their priorities on earth to match up with the priorities of God in heaven. Judgment is reserved for those who don't want what heaven offers. There are some people who will say that we're all going to go to heaven. And if while we live on earth, we really don't want the priorities of God, then when we get to heaven, he'll change us. He'll change our priorities. But I think that's backwards. I think that heaven, the ultimate and perf- perfect fulfillment of God's kingdom and his family gathering, it's not exclusive as we tend to think of it, that there are pe- we don't want these people in heaven so they're not going to go. But it's the place where the fullness of God and therefore the fullness of God's priorities reign. And as Lewis describes in The Great Divorce, if we don't want God's priorities... Then God isn't going to have to banish us from that place. We'll run from it because we have no desire to be absorbed in it. When we realize that we deserve judgment but are offered forgiveness, it does change how we treat other people, how we see people in this world. We tend to think that just, it's all about just taking care of me and my judgment, and, and that's all that really matters. But Matthew 25 tells us that if we've been forgiven, that's going to come out of us in the way that we treat other people. Our willingness to be judged by the world so that other people might experience God's forgiveness tells us a lot about the priorities of our lives. If we care about people, if we care about them, then it's not just about their soul. It's about them. You know, so often Christians are accused of just caring about people going to heaven. When we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus cares about people. Period. And as people begin to understand how much he cares for them they begin to open their hearts to him and their lives to him. But Jesus cares about every part of every person's being because he just simply cares about people. And something about that speaks to how we ought to be looking at people and thinking about people and treating people as folks who have experienced the forgiveness of God. Dennis Kinlaw reminds us that Abraham had little or no concept of the afterlife. You know, Abraham really had little or no concept of anything beyond this earth. And yet when God says, Abraham, I I want you to, to give up everything that's comfortable and your life of ease, and I want you to become a nomad for me, Abraham packs up and goes. And Abraham doesn't make that decision because he knows that whatever sacrifices he makes now are going to be rewarded in eternity. Abraham makes that decision because he has come to realize that following God now is better than not following God now. And I think if somehow we get that into our minds about how we see people and how we express what it means to... ...to know Christ. At the risk of being misunderstood, I think that we have made a a huge mistake in our approach to evangelism and missions. We we have tended to to think that the motivation of both evangelism and missions... ...is the dual purpose of keeping people out of hell and getting people into heaven. And, And certainly that's what we want to do. But in some ways, it's flawed thinking... And I I think in some ways it's hurt the spread of the gospel because that mindset tends to create guilt instead of genuine love for people. It tends to cause us to, to witness with, I don't know, sort of a gunslinger mentality where we put notches in our belts of how many people we've witnessed to rather than a mentality of compassion. And I've been thinking in light of Dennis Kinlaw's words about Abraham that... That with God's unlimited knowledge of people, God who can see into our hearts, understand our thoughts, knows everything about us, I don't think God is limited in saving people by, by our actions. I mean, yes, we're witnesses. He has chosen to call us, to use us. But I cannot fathom God condemning people to eternal damnation simply because we didn't do what we were called to do, or we didn't care that much, or because... We didn't get to them in time. Surely God is bigger than that. I'm not talking about universalism. I'm simply saying that God has the ability to know every person's heart. And God is going to judge every person based on their response to what they know. It's still through Christ, through his forgiveness of sin, that makes it possible for anyone to know God. And I'm not trying to say we ought to stop doing evangelism or missions. I just think we need a different motivation. We don't ignore the call to tell people about Christ. It's just that we aren't talking about what Jesus can do for them someday. We're talking about Jesus in their lives this day. We're talking about Christ transforming people now. Christ setting them free from the chains of sin and guilt and bondage and all of the ways in which our sin keeps us down and leads us to judgment. We're saying to people, I care about you, not just for what's going to happen to you in eternity, but I care about you now, today, and your life today. And I want you to know and be set free from all of these chains that are holding you down and filling your life with with all that, that God didn't create you to experience. And to know not judgment, but forgiveness today. And yes, it's going to lead you into eternal life, and that'll be awesome. But it can be awesome now too. Because the God who says rightly that we deserve judgment offers forgiveness that will change everything about us not just then but now today while we live on this earth years ago I I knew a woman who was part of a little country church I don't know maybe 60, 65 people. She was, I think, to the best of my knowledge, the only person in that church that had a college education. And uh, therefore, she was typically the teacher in that church. She taught the one adult Sunday school class. And, and she led the groups. And she was head of the church board. And, you know, she, she basically people, you know, let her take over. She had the training and background. And she talked a lot about Jesus, she talked a lot about holy living, she talked a lot about being a Christian. But I also know that she was one of the harshest, meanest, most difficult people I've ever known in my life. Everybody in that church was scared to death of her. I was scared to death of her. I was thinking about her this week, and a thought struck me trying to think about why she was that way. And there are probably a lot of reasons those things are complicated. But I'm pretty sure that it probably was one or the other. Either she never quite came to the place where she admitted that she deserved the judgment of God for her sin or she could never quite believe that God could forgive her sin. And I suspect that in some form or another, you and I wrestle with one or both of those issues. To believe that we have truly sinned And deserve punishment and judgment. Or to believe because of what we've done or because of what we're doing. God could really never forgive us. But the truth of the scriptures is that yes, we do deserve judgment. But we're offered forgiveness. And I've come to the conclusion that we'll never truly embrace the forgiveness of God until we first embrace the truth that we deserve judgment. Until we believe that when the scripture says all have sinned, it's talking about us. Until we truly embrace that and grasp that, it will be very, very difficult for us to truly embrace The forgiveness of God. And so when we come face to face with the truth about God's judgment, the right thing is not to run from it, but to run to it. To acknowledge that it's true, it's so true. And then to look at the cross and to hear that we're forgiven. And I'm convinced that if our world's going to change, if we're going to be the kind of people that Jesus describes here in Matthew 25 who care about people, it begins here acknowledging our sin and that we deserve judgment and yet embracing the forgiveness of Christ in His way wanting His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven for us for all of us for this world Heavenly Father it's a hard word for us It's hard for us to admit that we deserve judgment. It's often hard for us to acknowledge that your forgiveness is real. Help us, Father, to hold these two truths in holy tension. to live in the reality of this paradox that leads us to life and to joy and the fullness of your blessing and the witness of your spirit to this world that desperately needs you. Father, in this moment of silence, speak into our souls. Thank you for hearing our prayers and for your wondrous grace in our lives. Amen.